Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Saskag Today. Coming up on today's program, as you've probably heard by now, employees of Viterra in Saskatchewan accepted the company's contract offer on Friday afternoon, ending the threat of any job action. It was the first topic of discussion on Friday's SaskagToday.com's roundtable. We'll hear from Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch on that subject and a number of other subjects coming up on today's program. We will also hear from a union representative for uh, the Grain Services Union that voted on that Viterra issue. Redicop's seed control unit attracted some attention at the Western Canadian Crop Production Show in Saskatoon two weeks ago. We'll hear from Trevor Thiessen, who is Redicop Manufacturing's president and co-owner. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of Saskang Today. But first, it's time for Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to Saskag Today. Employees of Viterra in Saskatchewan accepted the company's contract offer on Friday afternoon, ending the threat of any job action. It was the first topic of discussion on Friday's SaskagToday.com's roundtable. Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch offered his thoughts on it. Whenever there isn't a disruption, it's, it's always good news. I think Viterra might be the only major grain handler that's actually got a unionized workforce. And I think workforces and all of the other companies face the, the same issues when there is very short notice when a train arrives and they, they only have 12 hours to load it, even though it might sit there two or three days after that and not move. Uh, in order to get the the uh, incentive rates, they have to load it immediately. So I think that's an ongoing issue in the grain industry is that the, the, there's sometimes very short notice when uh, unit cars, uh, trains are going to arrive or or it's not, sometimes it's scheduled for a Tuesday and then ends up uh, arriving on a Friday afternoon. So I think that's a, an issue for all of the grain companies. He then talked about the three days he spent last week at Manitoba Ag Days in Brandon. It was great. I haven't been there for quite some time, and it, it is absolutely huge. People that go to a crop production show in Saskatoon might think, oh, that's, that's a pretty big space, but Manitoba's is quite a bit larger, 550 exhibitors versus 330, and two uh, active speaker programs uh, that, that go nonstop. So crowds, particularly in the first two days, were were very heavy, I thought, very well attended. The only downside to this show is is accommodations because Brandon isn't a, a big a, as big a city as a place like Saskatoon and and for the the, the mass of people that show up there, uh, hotel accommodations really are are uh, at a premium and some people end up staying quite a ways away if they're going to have to overnight in Brandon. Hirsch says he enjoyed listening to many of the speakers in Brandon. I always thoroughly enjoy uh, different presentations and panel presentations, a lot of stuff on variable rate. I enjoyed the, the presentation from Noah Bishop of EDM Fertilizer on where 
fertilizer prices might be going, uh, and just being able to visit with people and get get an idea of what's going on. It was interesting. One of the things that uh, is uh, crop insurance uh, information for Manitoba is always announced at Manitoba Ag Days, and uh, Manitoba Agriculture Minister Ron Costitian was there and, and announced the program, but didn't say a whole lot about it other than, you know, the premium per acre was going to average 621 an acre rather than 1921 an acre, and that while some crop insurance values, prices had gone up on a few small commodities, most were down. Uh, the, the the actual crop prices for crop insurance weren't released right away, but were available a little later in the week. And one thing I was surprised at was that their canola value was pretty good for, uh, compared to where prices are right now, sixteen forty four a bushel. Now, if you look in, if you're in Saskatchewan waiting for crop insurance information near the end of February, which when it comes out in Saskatchewan. I think our canola value might be quite a bit lower here because Manitoba uses a December estimate of what canola prices are going to be. Saskatchewan uses a January estimate, and with canola over the last time frame continuing to slump, I think we could end up uh, quite a bit lower than Manitoba's 16.44. Last year, Saskatchewan was below $19 a bushel for a crop insurance price. Manitoba was above, but they were within spitting distance of each other. This year, I'm, I'm thinking there could be a dollar or maybe even $2 a difference between the, the crop insurance price in Manitoba versus Saskatchewan. He notes there was some overlap of speakers and exhibitors in Brandon and from the previous week at the Western Canadian Crop Production Show in Saskatoon. For sure. You, you see uh, many of the same ones, or many of the same companies, but sometimes it's their um, Eastern Prairie staff versus the Western Prairie staff. But for instance, uh, Croptimistic with, with SWAT maps, uh, again, you, you, you see those, uh, well, you see SWAT maps, uh, talked about in many of the booths, but certainly many of the, the exhibitors and many of the companies were there, but some different grain companies, some different commodities in Manitoba uh, that you won't see uh, in Saskatchewan as well. So you can, uh, you can walk for miles and get lost multiple times looking at all the booths at Manitoba Ag Days. I, I did that. Hearst says one of his highlights was speaking to Andy Clean an Ontario man who has his own line of soap to clean farm equipment with. He's a, he's just one of those fun guys. And I've, I'd heard the story before about Andy Clean and how he got a, a line of uh, soap for equipment washing uh, because of his tweets on, on, uh, on Twitter where he would show his, his very clean equipment and somebody tagged him as hashtag Andy Clean. From that, he ended up with his own brand of soap, and John Deere caught on to the discussion and actually uh, markets the soap or has the soap available for him. He's from Tilsonburg, Ontario. First time he'd been out uh, west of uh, Manitoba, and just uh, one of those very interesting, very forthcoming guys and uh, a fun interview with him. He notes that the wheat growers are holding their AGM in Regina this week, but details are few and far between. I think I saw an agenda way back when, uh, but uh, have to delve into that a little further. You know, some organizations, and I shouldn't blame the wheat growers on this, but uh, we, we see some, some time to time that they operate in a bit of a vacuum. So here's a call out. If you want the media to know about your meeting and talk about your meeting and maybe attend your meeting and do interviews, 
let them know and, and keep pestering us about exactly what's going on. And I'm going to be pestering the Global Institute for Food Security in that regard because they had a, a release uh, and a news conference, and I think a lot of people didn't even know about it. Hirsch also talked about the Show Your Receipts campaign that's on right now. Dave Carey is with uh, the Canola Gro- uh, Canadian Canola Growers Association, and he is a lobbyist in in. Ottawa. So it was very interesting to hear his take on on what it takes to be a lobbyist, to be polite and to develop a relationship. Uh, Because if you want to meet with people, they have the ability to say no or not meet with you. So you want to be there, be polite, uh, be insistent, and something that uh, they've really pushed on along with a a large membership in in the uh, Carbon Alliance. Uh, farm groups uh, from supply management all the way to Canola Growers Association uh, on side saying the same thing that Bill 234 for exempting farmers from natural gas and propane GST that this bill uh, needs to move forward and the shenanigans in the in the Senate uh, uh, are, are haven't been helpful at all. So yeah, he he's actually saying that there haven't been as many receipts in their show me your receipts uh, campaign from the prairies as they would have hoped for. And I think part of that is because uh, grain drying season is is well past. But uh, there's a call from all of those organizations to producers saying send in your receipts, show the the government that the carbon tax on propane and natural gas is costing you a lot of money because a lot of the claims, especially from senators, was that, oh, no, 97% of, of the carbon tax on agriculture has been removed. This is a very minor thing. Well, for a lot of producers, if you're heating a greenhouse or heating a barn or if you're drying a lot of grain, it's not a minor thing. And uh, that's why the, the show, you meet, show Your Receipts uh, program was implemented. Kevin Hirsch is the chief agricultural editor for SaskAg Today. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program. That's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. Drought on the prairies is raising the risk that farmers' valuable topsoil will go blowing in the wind. Federal mapping shows 81% of agricultural land in Canada is either abnormally dry or in a state of drought this winter. When drought causes crops to fail, there may not be enough vegetation on fields in the early spring to hold down the topsoil. Dry and windy conditions can lead to clouds of dust lifting off of the fields and blowing onto roads, into ditches, and onto neighbors' property. Drought-plagued southern Alberta has seen an increase in wind-related erosion in recent years. The problem is costly for the municipalities that must clean up afterwards, as well as for the farmers who lose valuable soil. Shares of Archer Daniels Midland slid 16% in early morning trade today, after CFO Vikram Luther was placed on administrative leave as the company investigates certain accounting practices at its nutrition segment. The global grains merchant cut its 2023 profit forecast and said its fourth quarter results would be delayed due to the investigation related to certain inter-segment transactions flagged by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. The probe brings uncertainty to ADM's high-margin nutrition segment, 
which is already grappling with weak demand for meat alternatives. The segment supplies a range of ingredients, including plant-based proteins, natural flavors, emulsifiers to food, beverage and nutritional supplements industries, among others. At least four brokerages downgraded ADM stock after the SEC request, and the company cut its adjusted earnings forecast to $6.90 per share for the fiscal year ended December 2023, from an excess of $7 a share earlier. CN and CPKC Rail supplied a combined 88% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 24, a decline from the 93% order fulfillment performance seen in Week 23. The decline in performance reflects a decline in performance for each of CN and CPKC. In supplying 85% of cars ordered by shippers in Week 24, CN saw performance dip from the 89% order fulfillment performance they posted in Week 23. CN performance remains below the 90% performance threshold for the second consecutive week. CPKC performance declined with the railway supplying 91% of shipper orders in Week 24, down from the 99% order fulfillment performance posted in Week 23. CPKC performance remains above the 90% threshold for the 13th consecutive week. Proposition 12 and voluntary country of origin labeling were among topics raised during the federal ag minister Lawrence McCauley's first ministerial trip to the United States after being appointed to the portfolio last summer. Last week, McCauley traveled to Washington to meet with his American counterpart, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. Proposition 12, which took full effect at the start of the year, imposes animal welfare regulations on certain meat and animal products sold in the state of California, including imported products. The hog industry in particular is concerned that given its integration with the U.S. industry, this will have a chilling effect on pork and live hog exports. The sector has also asked the government to take a stand against proposed voluntary country-of-origin labeling regulations. Canadian meat producers fear this will hamper exports to the U.S. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency says it has revoked another poultry control zone order in B.C.'s Fraser Valley. The agency says the original control zones in the region were put in place in early November after detecting an outbreak of highly contagious bird flu at commercial poultry premises. The agency says it ends the control zones after finishing post-outbreak surveillance where no more cases of avian flu are found. The Food Inspection Agency says there are 33 currently infected sites in B.C. and 125 previously infected sites that have affected more than 6 million birds. And Saskag Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose Saskag Today. And yes, it is free. And that's today's Ag Review. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will return right after this. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Faulkner. 
We have very light snow and minus 14 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. As you heard earlier in the program, one less strike to report on as a deal has been approved between Viterra and the union representing its employees. Members of the Grain Services Union Locals 1 and 2 ratified the company's latest offer, concluding a process that featured more than a year of negotiations and a 72-hour strike notice issued by the union earlier this month. GSU General Secretary Steve Torgerson says a huge gain they made was a change in the pay structure that will now have guaranteed wage increases. Um, under the previous agreement, the pay structure was a pay-for-performance model, um, is what it was called, but in, in essence it wasn't. Um, so it really depended on your individual performance and then where you were in the salary range. And so um, if you were higher in the range, you were going to get a smaller increase. And if you were lower in the range, you're going to get a higher increase. And so the company used this to um, you know, take money from long-service employees and pay it to newer employees um, in the pay structure. What we were able to, to do was to now, in this first year, we do have guaranteed wage increases for all employees. Uh, all eligible employees in 2023 uh, will receive uh, th- their full uh, wage increase regardless of their performance. That was a, a huge gain that uh, we were able to, uh, to get out of Viterra. And in the, the three years following, in the remainder of the agreement, you know, about half of the um, negotiated wage increases are guaranteed if uh, employees rate solid in their performance. In addition to wage increases, another ask was to incorporate a better work-life balance, but Torgerson says that was not addressed in the new deal. There was not a lot of gains made in that uh, area. Unfortunately, members are still, um, they do not need to be notified of a schedule change or a shift change. Uh, the company is able to uh, tell them at end of day Thursday that they, instead of working from 7 till 3 on Friday, they now need you from noon till 8 um, and give almost no notice. And so that's something that um, Viterra has lobbied the federal government for, these exemptions to uh, hours of work legislation. And they've, they were successful in that a number of years ago. And that's um, members have been trying to get some semblance of control back to that, just that they do uh, they do know that if their kid has a hockey game, on Friday night or Saturday, um, or birthday parties or whatever, that they can uh, they can commit to being there. But right now, um, in essence, they're they're at the beck and call of their employer. The next steps are to incorporate the agreed upon changes into the new collective agreement. Torgerson says while the deal has been approved, it does not mean it's popular with employees. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 173.95 this hour. That's down 42. April live cattle trading at 177.10, down 27. March feeder cattle trading at 231.42, down 52. April feeder cattle trading at 237.35, down 12. February lean hogs trading at 70.90, that's up 15. April lean hogs trading at 77.87, down 27. And that's the livestock market conditions. 
Redicop's seed control unit attracted some attention at the Western Canadian Crop Production Show in Saskatoon a couple of weeks ago. The system, which uses an impact mill to crush weed seeds as they exit the combine, placed second in the Crop Production Show's Innovation Awards. By crushing the seeds, weed density is decreased, and that should cut down on other expenses, such as the number of sprayer passes, as well as fuel. Trevor Thiessen is Redicop Manufacturing's president and co-owner. What we're seeing is every year interest is growing and growing. To be fair, we only really saw kind of commercial launch of the technology in about 2019. So then you got COVID years in there, which kind of slows everything down. So it's only been maybe two or three years of what I would say is a focused effort from ourselves. And we have one other competitor selling here in the market as well. But what we are seeing is like four years ago, before COVID, when we were talking to guys about it, they had no clue, no understanding. Now when we're sitting at a trade show booth or we're talking to people, we're seeing a lot more people coming with an understanding of what it is. And now we're kind of just trying to bridge that gap between does it make sense for you on your farm kind of scenario. So the education is going on, the, the understanding is growing, and in terms of our sales, we've seen them like kind of double every year for the last three years. I would say that it's positive momentum and a lot of good indicators that we're going to see it get to maybe not quite the Australian level of adoption where they're like at 50-60% or better, but definitely we can see it moving to 10 or 20% in the next couple of years. He says he has to convince farmers that his unit is worth the investment. Yeah, a little bit of that, for sure. It's it's a bit of the education as to how does it help you with your weed problem, first of all. Like, hey, do you have a weed problem? Yes, everyone's got some kind of a weed problem. How can it help you? Like, if it's, as I, I said to someone, that you know, wild oats is not a good fit, right? If that's your only weed that you're concerned about, wild oats isn't a good fit. Kosher, on the other hand, is a good fit because we can harvest and kill a lot of those weeds. As we can kind of get through that stage of the conversation, which problems are you facing in your farm and does this fit or not fit? Then it's a question of, okay, does your combine actually have a compatibility because we need a higher horsepower machine? We draw about 60 to 80 horsepower. And so you can't put it on an old small combine. We have some great interest from say organic farmers. Some of them have very new modern equipment and some of them have older equipment just like every farm. The organic farm doesn't have a chemical option. But if the combine is too old and doesn't have the horsepower, we can't fit. So it's that whole journey of kind of going through that to help them understand. And then I think it's in Saskatchewan anyway, if we take that just market, a lot of guys have multiple machines. So we're seeing not every combine on every field. We're seeing one or two combines in a fleet get the machine. We had one customer who tried it that way. And then the next year he bought enough for all of his combines, right? So that's kind of the evolution of what we're seeing happening. Thiessen talks about the kill rate that the unit achieves. Yeah, it depends on the weed, but I would say 90 to 99% is kind of the range that we kind of work with, depending on the species of weed. In Western Canada, if we can harvest that weed and we can put it through the mill, we're in the 95% or better range for most of the weeds that are common here. But like I said, it's a question of, can we get it into the combine and actually kill it in the mill? Wild oats drops most of its seeds before we harvest where kochia or canola which is a problematic weed now in in your non-canola crop we can get almost all of that into the combine and then kill 99 percent of it so very effective on some and less effective on others 
He describes how the milling process works. You know, in the combine, we've got three streams of material coming through. We've got the grain, which we keep, the straw, and the chaff. And what happens is, as the combine's going through the separation process, we're putting into the chaff material all the weeds and the volunteer crop that comes out is typically coming out in the chaff material. We take the chaff and we separate it from the straw on the back end of the combine, and we put the chaff through a mill. And that mill is an impact mill where we're spinning it at high velocity and we're trying to pound that chop material which contains the weed into these bars that we have there's five rings of bars that are spinning two are spinning and three are stationary and by pounding it into the bars we basically knock the vitalization out of the weed. Thiessen says the unit is quite easy to install. Uh, a little bit on the depends on the type of combine I would say it's about a day and a half to two days to do an installation you need at least a uh, one reasonably well-trained technician to do it. It's not super hard, it just takes some time. It's a couple days. He says it even works in damp conditions. Yeah, so it can process the material under damp or heavy crop conditions. What will happen is, oh yeah, you might have to slow down. Like what we see is kind of an increase in horsepower consumption of about 10%. So you're gonna, if you were already a combine operator who ran at the max, you're going to have to slow down a little bit. If you're running in the 90-95% range, you're going to probably now run at max and you can maintain your speed. So it depends a little bit on how the farmer was operating, but it's not a big slowdown. It's less than 10% on average. Most guys are just running a little more horsepower, so it consumes more fuel. Thiessen says markets outside of Canada and Australia are now looking at their unit. I would say the U.S. is similar to Canada. In terms of adoption, there's uh, we're in part of a research program that's going on for five or six years with GROW, G-R-O-W, that is kind of looking at this technology. I think there are now about 20 different mill systems, um, ours and one of our competitors, running in this program to try and help farmers understand. But the level of sales and adoption is probably similar to Canada relative to the size of the countries. Europe lots of interest in Europe just because they're so curious. Europe, most markets in Europe are very typically slow to adopt technology. Uh, they want it to look like it was all perfect and part of the combine from the beginning, which we're working hard to make it do that for them. But we've sold quite a few in Europe. Uh, France, Germany and the UK are the main markets and then little bits into places like Estonia and Poland and Austria. But, but France, Germany and UK where the major ag is done, I would say we're seeing some good interest. And he notes they're continuing to expand their manufacturing facility as well. Good, we're, um, we've completed stage two of three. We're now starting the third stage of our facility expansion, which is kind of all gearing us up to meet the demand that we're seeing for the product and the technology. So yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting times for us as a company. Trevor Thiessen is the president and co-owner of Redicop Manufacturing, located 12 kilometers northwest of Saskatoon. Please stay tuned. Your Commodities Update is coming up next. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. March canola trading at $634 per metric ton, up $5.70. May canola trading at 638.90 up $4 per metric ton. March Minneapolis wheat trading at $7 per bushel, that's up 4 and a half cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 609 per bushel, up 1 cent. 
March Chicago wheat trading at 597 and a half. That's up four and a quarter cents. March corn trading at 445 and a half, unchanged from Friday's close. March soybeans trading at 1222 and three quarters. That's up nine and a half cents. March oats trading at 383 per bushel, up three and a quarter cents. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will return right after these messages. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Falconer. The food banks of Saskatchewan are feeling joyful after a successful feeding holiday cheer campaign held over the holidays. Over $3 million was raised, helped by a $250,000 donation from Nutrien when the campaign launched in late November. Executive Director Michael Kincaid appreciates the support from businesses like Nutrien. It's very important to get those huge donations. And Nutrien has been a fantastic, just a wonderful partner with us for over eight years now. And that $250,000 just really gives it a, a, a good kickstart and, and off to a good start. Other, uh, other you know, uh, corporations, companies really kind of stepping up. The Sun, Saskatchewan Union of Nurses, they always jump in. Uh, this year was a $50,000 donation. That really helps. Uh, Kelly Pantala con- Construction uh, with 100000 You know, big donations like that really, really help us to reach our goal and uh, kind of inspire other companies to, to donate as well. Since 2010, Nutrien has donated almost $9 million to the food banks of Saskatchewan. He's also grateful for the public support. Every little bit is is so much appreciated. Uh, you know, that couple dollars from your neighbor, you know, it all adds up. And it just, it never ceases to amaze me how Saskatchewan uh, residents just step up to help their, their friends and neighbors and families. You know, we all know it's tough. We all know, you know, our extra disposable income, there's not much left there at the end of the, the month. And for people to reach in deep and and be able to help uh, support others that that are you know maybe little not doing quite as well as them, uh, it just means means such a a big thing to to us. Kincaid says the money will help the 36 registered food banks across Saskatchewan buy food they would otherwise not normally get, creating a healthy food hamper for clients. We have some purchasing buying power. So we can really stretch that money too. So yeah, the cash, the money donations, it's really going to help us fill the shelves and uh, and get that much-needed stuff that we are in uh, dire need of. He then explains how the money is allocated to Saskatchewan's 36 food banks. Other than the ones that are specifically designated for for uh, specific food banks, it's uh, all on a percentage, and it's. Every every year in in March we do what is called a hunger count, and we look at uh, how many hampers, how many people each food bank uh, serves in a month, and that helps us to determine to determine and and split up by percentage. And Kincaid says donating isn't confined to the holidays, as the public can do it year round. And the easiest way to help or donate is to go to our website, which is skfoodbanks.ca 
And uh, right on the front screen, there's a Donate Now button. Just click on that. You can make a one-time donation or you could set up to make monthly donations. Sometimes that's a little easier. Sometimes you don't notice that 10 or $15 a month come out. But by the end of the year, it really adds up and, and helps. So, you know, it's uh, we've made it easy. Um, and, yeah, we can always, always use help. The food banks of Saskatchewan anticipate demand will remain high again this year. Farm Bulletin Board. An event celebrating rural ranching women is coming up next month. Jordan Johnson is the Livestock and Feed Extension Specialist for the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture in Swift Current, and she tells us about it. The Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture is excited to present the 7th Annual Celebrating Rural Ranching Women Conference this February 1st and 2nd in Rockland, Saskatchewan. This event originated in the Southwest and is dedicated to celebrating the strength of Saskatchewan's rural women. Come down to Rock Glen for a two-day workshop to build skills related to livestock production and ranch management. This event will include a variety of technical presentations and discussions alongside networking opportunities with other ranching women. Our event kicks off on Thursday with a session focused on ranch management. Local nurse practitioner will discuss strategies to manage mental health on your operation, Roxanne Olenek and Laura Turand with MNP will discuss common hurdles they encounter with succession planning and how to overcome them. The afternoon will wrap up with a hands-on session focused on communication and conflict management. Following a break for supper, attendees also have the option to participate in a networking and sign painting activity with Starlight Market. Friday's production-focused agenda begins with a rotation of technical updates on gopher control methods, polycrops, grasshopper control for forages, restoring native grasslands, and on the importance of litter for pasture management. This session will be followed by a presentation on nutritional management considerations for herds that are experiencing high open rates this winter. The afternoon features a discussion on internal parasite control methods for cattle and horses with local veterinarian Dr. Bonnie Brandt from Borderland Veterinary Clinic followed by a hands-on session using EPDs to select bulls for, and heifers for your operation. Our event concludes with a producer panel featuring several local producers discussing strategies that their operations have used to make genetic improvements in their herd while keeping narrow margins top of mind. Tickets are available for this event until January 24th and can be purchased by accessing the event on the Egg Events online calendar at saskatchewan.ca for more information on this event or for assistance with registration, please call the Agriculture Knowledge Centre at 1-866-457-2377. Hope to see you there. That's Jordan Johnson, the Livestock and Feed Extension Specialist for the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture in Swift Current. Meanwhile, the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission is holding their Think Wheat 2024 Extension Meetings they're designed to provide Saskatchewan wheat producers with the latest information on marketing, research, and agronomy. These meetings are structured to be in-depth, ensuring attendees get a comprehensive understanding of the topics being discussed. Their goal is to equip producers with the knowledge they need to make informed decisions and increase their crop yields. The team of experts speaking are dedicated to delivering engaging and informative presentations that are easy to understand. They strive to create an environment that fosters learning and encourages questions and discussion. By attending these meetings, producers can stay up to date with the latest advances in their industry 
and connect with other like-minded individuals. The Think Weed Extension meetings are an excellent opportunity for producers to expand their knowledge and improve their farming practices. There's a meeting coming up in Kenora tomorrow at the Kenora Activity Centre, in Watrous on Wednesday at the Manitoba Springs Resort, and in Outlook on Thursday at the Outlook Civic Centre. Speakers attending will be Marlena Borsch, Dr. Megan Van Kosky, Philip Harder, and Carmen Prang. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today, a 70% chance of light snow, which will taper off. Winds east-northeast at 10 to 20, and a high of minus 12. For tonight, mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of light snow. Winds south-southeast at 15 to 25. A low of minus 15, but it may rise overnight. For tomorrow, mainly cloudy. Winds south-southeast at 15 to 30 and diminishing. A high of minus 5, an overnight low of minus 8. For Wednesday, a mix of sun and cloud. Winds northwest at 10 to 15, a high of minus 3. For Thursday, mainly sunny, also a high of minus 3. And Saturday, mainly sunny, once again a high of minus 3. In the Paw, it's minus 22 degrees. Swan River, minus 17. Dauphin, minus 16. Brandon, minus 13. Show Lake Russell, minus 14. Roblin, minus 15. Regina is at minus 11. Saskatoon, minus 15. Hudson Bay, minus 18. Broadview Mooseman, minus 13. Indian Head, minus 12. Winyard Wadena Kelvington, minus 14. In the Yorkton Melville region, we have very light snow, a northeast wind at 21 kilometers an hour. 82% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 14 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 24 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for Saskang today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.